Hello fellow podcasters. Today in today's market, we're going to be talking about a few things, um, at least like I always say, what I like I find interesting. One, the first one we're going to be talking about is the housing market and what's happening there currently right now. Uh, we'll get into Netflix as well. And then the war that's happening with uh, Twitter and Elon Musk currently on the most recent update on that. And if we have time towards the end, we'll be able to talk about uh, the Russian ruble by any chance as well. But before we begin today's podcast, I need to remind you all that I am not a financial advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I express here in this uh, podcast is my own personal opinion. I am not, I cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. Please talk to your own professional and financial advisor about any investing advice should any of these topics come up in this conversation today. That being said, let's begin with the first one, the housing market. <clears throat> According to Rudders, to begin, U.S. existing home sales fall further as housing, further as house prices hit record high in Washington. U.S. home sales dropped to the lowest level in nearly two years in March as house prices ra- raced to, rec- to a record high and could decline further with mortgage rates hitting 5%. The report from the National Association of Realtors on Wednesday also showed the drop in sales in February was much steeper than initially thought. Even with home sales reverting back to the pre-pandemic level, the housing market remains hot. Homes in March typically stayed on the market for only 17 days, and the share of all cash sales was the largest in eight years. For the best chance of success, home shoppers should have cash offers ready, and they should have lock-in mortgage rates as they're expected to keep rising, said Robert Frick, corporate economist at Naval Federal Credit Union in Vienna, Virginia. Existing home sales dropped 2.7% as a seasonal adjustment annual rate of 5.770 million. Correction, 5.77 million units last month, the lowest level since June of 2020. Data for February was revised sharply down to the rate of 5.93 million units from the previous report of 6.2 million. March sales mostly reflect the closing of contracts signed two or three months ago when the 30 fixed year rate uh, rate mortgage was below 4%. Economics polls by Rutgers had forecast sales would decrease to a rate of 5.8 million units. Sales fell in the Northeast, South, and Midwest. They were unchanged in the West. It's going to get interesting with the housing market currently. In fact, talking to some people in the housing market currently, it's kind of crazy right now for them um, just for how hot the housing market is. And they keep telling me that they can't keep up sometimes with the demand for housing. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this housing market. The article goes on later to say the Federal Reserve in March raised its policy interest rates by 25 basis points, the first height rate in more than three years as the U.S. Central Bank battles surging inflation. Economics expect the Fed wake by 50 basis points next month and soon the trimming its asset um, portfolio. Here's the thing. I don't think the Federal Reserve has as much say currently right now as they keep telling us they have. I mean, they have to do something, but at the same time, there's too much money potentially being printed right now, and which is just going to cause inflation to happen in everything, whether it's in stocks or in the housing market. I mean, everything's going up in prices currently. The article goes on about the tight market. The housing market is the sector of the economy most sensitive to interest rates. But with low inventory, economics believe higher borrowing costs will have moderate impact on demand. While single-family home building and permits fell in March, both remained at high levels. The inventory of single-family housing under construction was the highest since November of 2006. 
government data showed on Tuesday. Still, owning a home is becoming unaffordable for many Americans. The medium existing house price jumped 50% from a year earlier to an all-time high at $375,300 in March. Sales remain con concentrated in the upper prices end of the market. The South, which has experienced increase in migration from other parts of the country, recorded big price gains. There was a previous 950,000 previous owned homes on the market in March, up 11.8% from February, but down 9.5% from a year ago. At March sales pace, it would take two months to exhaust the current inventory down from 2.1 months a year ago. A six or seven month supply is viewed as a healthy balance between supply and demand. The article goes on to say that <clears throat> properties typically remained on the market for 17 days last month, which we just talked about earlier in this article. First time buyers accounted for 30% of sales last month, up from 29% in February, down from 32% from a year ago. Economics and realtors say 40% share of first time buyers is needed for a robust housing market. All cash sales made up for 28% of transactions in March, the most since July of 2014. That was up from 25% in February and 23 in March in 2001. Individual investors or second home time buyers who account for many cash sales bought 18% of homes in March, up from 50% from a year ago. I have a hard time believing that these all cash purchases are from her first time buyers. I mean, it could be happening, but I mean, here's the thing. The housing market is going to get super tight and I feel sorry for anyone who's potentially trying to look into get into a house currently because you, now you're having to compete for less than 17 days to get a house. And obviously if you're having to do with investment firms that are buying houses too, that's another issue you could be facing as well. Housing market is going to be very interesting to watch these next couple months because like I said, housing market's getting super tight right now. And even the realtors who I currently talk to um, in my own personal life are saying just how, just, just how crazy the housing market's becoming right now. In fact, I have one guy even saying right now that he is currently saving up on cash because he believes there's a bubble in the making. And I'm not trying to be doom or gloom situation here. But if, he, I mean, it's just one guy, obviously, but it's just something interesting to think about because it, if the housing market is as tight as everyone keeps saying, and with inflation here, that means housing prices are going to go up and the interest rate is going to go up as well. It's going to get very interesting to see how things look once the Federal Reserve tries to raise interest rates and stuff. So we got to keep an eye on the housing sector because if, if the housing sector pops again, that's going to be a truly a big mess in the making, pretty much like it was back in 2008 when the housing market crashed. But it can't be hopefully not that insane. Speaking of bad days ahead, uh, Net Netflix, uh, Netflix best days are behind it, um, says analysts who predicted the stock crash. Shares of Netflix of the streaming giant crashed nearly 40% on Wednesday as the company uncorked another disappointing quarter, sparking fresh worry on the street about future growth potential. I think its best days are behind it, said uh, Tim Nolan. Nolan is one of the few analysts on Wall Street to downgrade Netflix shares ahead of the company's result latest latest results and no one no one's call looks to be spot on here's how netflix performed compared to wall street analysts estimates their revenue was 7.87 billion versus 
$5 billion, which was expected from Wall Street. Earnings per share is at, at $3.53 versus expected $2.91. Year over year, it was supposed to be $3.75. I also forgot to mention the revenue part is supposed to be $7.16 billion year over year. Net subscribers down 200000 versus plus $2.51 million expected, $3.98 million year over year. Here's the thing with Netflix, okay? And this is something I've been thinking about for a while with Netflix, since Netflix has been the mo- one of the most talked about stocks uh, for the last few years. In fact, it's part of what Jim Cramer used to call the FANG stock, which is Facebook, Alphabet, Netflix, and Google. Netflix can only have so much growth behind it. Netflix growth comes from subscriptions, okay? And subscriptions can be a good thing or a bad thing based off if you actually are producing content. The thing is, though, is a lot of competitors are finally catching up. You have Disney who released their own thing. HBO released their own thing. Paramount released their own thing. And so the original goal of Netflix was to get away from cable. Now, if you're someone who owns multiple apps for this, you're now virtually almost paying for cable now. I personally see a world soon where your personality is going to be dictated based off the apps that you currently have on your phone. And if you think about it, right, a lot of people, they do love Disney currently right now. I think Disney is a decent bet, but Disney might have its own problems in the future. But we can talk about that in a later podcast. But Netflix in particular, their competitive advantage is virtually gone. Netflix needs to find a new way for growth. And what ways can they go, to be honest? I mean, you could go down the video game route if you really wanted to, but I don't see how video games are going to help with the Netflix platform. I mean, maybe Netflix needs to get bought out by Microsoft. That might be a decent uh, one-two punch in the making because then that means if anytime someone were to buy an Xbox 360, it's already connected with Microsoft. And plus, Microsoft also has a ton of cash on hand that they could potentially uh, make the content that Netflix needs. But, I mean, where's the growth for Netflix currently? I just don't see it. I mean, I expect their subscriptions to start start declining even more. I mean, just across the board. It's just It just doesn't make any sense how Netflix can make money. The other option, too, would be running more ads, but that was the whole purpose of getting into Netflix was to get away from commercials. So Netflix is kind of in a, in a tough situation right now. I, I just don't see Netflix having much growth left in them. I mean, even looking at this chart right now, I remember looking at Netflix in 2016, and this chart's pretty accurate on this, when it was like at $100 a share. And even right now, when it got to a high of almost $700, Netflix was pretty much way overpriced. I mean, if you can get people constantly coming back to your service, that's great. And I think another thing that helped Netflix too was during the last two years when people were stuck at home due to lockdowns. I mean, that helped their get more subscriptions because people were bored and just watching TV all the time. But people aren't paying as much, I mean, not paying, people are not watching TV as much. The article goes on to say, for the Current quarter, Netflix says it expect an even steeper decline in new users as it battles through increased competition, the likes of Apple and Paramount, and tries to get 100 million account shares to pay up. The streaming service is modeling the subscription to decline by 2 million in the fiscal second quarter, whereas consensus analysis, we're looking at a gain of 2.4 million. 
I personally stay away from Netflix stock. I think Netflix is done. I think eventually Netflix will have to be bought out by someone. But I think Netflix's best days are virtually behind it. I mean, you could get in the video game sector, and that could be good for your company if you can figure out how to rent through Netflix. I just think Netflix's best days are virtually behind it. So I, I personally would avoid the stock at all costs, but that's just me though in general. Maybe you guys have a different opinion. If you do, you can pretty much comment below, but that's just my opinion. On to Elon Musk and Twitter now. Musk tweets cryptic phrase days after Twitter takeover offer. Billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk tweeted a series of dashes for a mi- uh, missing word followed by is the night days after he offered to buy Twitter Inc. for $43 billion. The offer from Musk, who has hinted at a possibility of a hostile bid, has promoted the social media company to adopt a poisonous pill to protect itself. Musk, who is the chief executive of electric vehicle maker Tesla on Monday, tweeted, Love me tender as Elvis Presley song, an Elvis Presley song, after Twitter opted for a plan to sell shares at at a discount to prevent any attempt by the stakeholder to amass a stake more than 50%. Musk currently has a 9.1% stake. The New York Post on Tuesday reported Musk was willing to invest between $10 billion and $15 billion of his own money to take Twitter private, citing two sources familiar with the matter. The billionaire who is Twitter's second biggest shareholder is planning to launch a tender offer in about 10 days and has tapped Morgan Stanley to raise another $10 billion in debt, according to the report. Musk may also be willing to borrow against his current stake if necessary, a move that could possibly raise several billion additional dollars, according to New York Post report. Twitter declined to comment. Tesla did not immediately respond to Rutter's request for a comment from Musk. This battle is not going to be done anytime soon between Twitter and Elon Musk. It's almost like the Procter & Gamble one that happened a few years ago which I, I can't remember who was the guy who was trying to take over Procter & Gamble, but he virtually forced himself onto the board and then he helped turn around Procter & Gamble. Um, I just, I'm blanking on his name right now, but currently, I mean, there are some forces behind here right now that, at least in my opinion, that are trying everything they can to make sure that Elon Musk doesn't take over. I mean, when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post a few years back, no one seemed to bat an eye. So what's the difference with Twitter right now? Well, times pretty much have changed a little bit. And I guess now they don't want the billionaires to be taking over things. But this is going to still get really, really messy. And if I were a Twitter shareholder right now, I'd be observing what the board is doing and trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Because, I mean, you have a man who's willing to buy out the company and they're rejecting it, saying that, oh, it's worth way more than that. That, to me, just sounds like a lot of greed in the making for Twitter, at least on the part of some of their shareholders and the board of directors and stuff like that. But, I mean, they're, they're kind of in a way, they're kind of controlling the flow of information, too. And that's what I think they're really afraid of. But if I were a Twitter shareholder, I would personally vote my, I mean, you should be getting your, what what's it called, your voting for shareholder rights soon and if if you're if you're if you own twitter stock you should be making it very loud and clear that if you really want you should make you should make it known that you want uh, elon musk to buy out the company and if the board doesn't respond to you then there's going to be some serious issues 
in the end, I I don't know who's going to win this battle. I mean, Musk seems to be that he has the upper hand, but at the same time, maybe Twitter has the upper hand, and I just don't know currently. But it just seems like no matter what happens, Twitter is going to be uh, the one left holding the bag in the end. Don't know what's going to happen towards the end, but it just seems like right now Elon has all the power. But I mean, I personally, if I was a Twitter shareholder, I would probably want some of these offers. I mean, you start out with $43 billion, Now Elon Musk is saying, I'll buy it and take it pro- private for 15 I mean, he's offering and they're denying his offers right now. And to me, that's just very strange. The company is not willing to take up offers because they think it's worth more. But has Twitter even been making money? I mean, I don't, I don't think they have. I mean, they're not like Facebook where Facebook makes money off of their Facebook ads for the longest time. And now they're trying to make it off the metaverse. But I mean, who knows? I don't get what's going on at Twitter currently. And it's just mind boggling that this is like becoming this dramatic of a story across the market right now. But I think in the end, I think eventually Elon might get fed up too and just might just say, I'm done making these bids and he might sell his entire stake and Twitter just drops. And there's going to be a lot of angry shareholders at that point on Twitter. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out when it's all said and done. I'd personally keep an eye on that, guys, because it's just going to get extremely interesting to see what happens. Final news story that we're going to be covering today. Panicked Russians withdrew $9.8 billion in FX from banks in March. Russian households withdrew foreign currency worth $9.8 billion from their accounts in March. And banks cut new corporate lending by around one-third. The central bank said on Wednesday... As Western sanctions over events in Ukraine spooked consumers, the quarter was difficult, to put it bluntly. It's a very worrying in uh, certain moments, but most importantly, the situation managed uh, to stabilize, said Alexandra, director of the Central Banking Regulation Analysis Department. The banking sector faced significant outflow of the population funds at the end of February, said. People took money out of their accounts in a panic, fearing for their safety. Funds held in and deposits fell by 1.2 trillion rubles, which is about 14.72 billion, I guess, in U.S. dollars. In February, the banks said in a monthly report of the development of the Russian bank sector that the decline continued in March with outflows of 236 billion rubles. In contrast, the report, the previous report in the series, the central bank did not disclose banking sector profits. An economic rebound that revived loans growth and boosted interest in real estate assets saw Russian banks make a record 2.4 trillion rubles of profit last year, but the consequences of the Russians' actions in Ukraine may have made any repeat unlikely. Consumer lending f- fell by 1.9% in March as the banking sector took a hit from emer- emergency rate hike by the central banking. Uh, rising prices squeezed customers, disposable incomes, and uncertainty about employment prospects uh, spread the banks. Uh, prospects spread, the bank said. The central bank more than doubled its key interest rates to 20% on February 28th as the first wave of sanctions hit before trimming to 17% on April 8th. It's expected to lower its further as the next board meeting is on April 29th. And finally, on this news article, it says mortgage loans volume increased by 2.1% in March to around 30 billion rubles, which the central bank put down to the state-run mortgage uh, programming. 
here's the thing, at least in my honest opinion, I've heard the rubles virtually bounce back. And some of these sanctions that the U.S. has been putting on Russia, I mean, from what I'm reading, and this would have to be more dived into, Russia's economy runs around oil and natural gas. Not, It's not like the U.S. where it's electronics. At least that's what I've been hearing and reading. Russia, to me, right now, this is just complete fear. But it also gives you an understanding of human nature when fear is happening currently right now. But at the same time, I don't know how much I believe this report that Russians would be freaking out this much to pull this money out. I mean, the war isn't happening on their soil, at least not yet. It's happening in Ukraine. And it might also be that they were fearing that the banks would force them not to be able to pull money out as well, which is understandable because that kind of happened in the Great Depression when the market crashed in the United States. But it's still an interesting thought to think that you had this many Russians pulling money out of their accounts in general. But I'm also curious to know, because they're claiming in this article that Russia's banks won't be able to make as much money. I kind of beg to differ on that. And the reason I, I think it's going to be a little bit different is I personally believe currently right now, the more the global economy isolates Russia, the more Russia starts turning to China. Now, obviously, yesterday we spoke about how China's city, Shanghai, was shut down because of COVID, because of the zero COVID policy. But I believe that eventually China is going to realize that shutting down their entire economy isn't the smartest thing in the world. They're going to want more oil. That was another thing we talked about, I think, a day or two ago, was the fact that uh, China wasn't refining as much oil. But Russia does have a ton of oil on hand, and China is going to be in demand for oil. I honestly believe, and it's just like I said, this is just my honest opinion. I think Russia is going to end up selling more oil to China in the end. And I think Russia's banking sector is going to be completely fine, to be honest, because they're going to be selling oil to China because China doesn't care. China wants oil because they have to be able to, uh, to meet the demand for their population and the growth that they're trying to get right now. I also think if it comes to desperate measures as well, I think other countries are going to accept Russian oil no matter what. Um, I mean, you might have countries in the Middle East that might accept it too. Uh, I think even India might accept them as well. But the fact that Russia and China are right next to each other, it gives me an idea that potentially Russia is going to be fine when it comes to making money in their banking sector. But that's just my opinion. So I think this is something we need to keep an eye out for to see what happens to Russia and the ruble going forward, because it just seems like they're going to be able to be fine if they can keep selling their oil to China. But like I said, that's just my own personal opinion. And my opinions can be completely wrong. Maybe in a few months we find out that the ruble is struggling because their entire economy is struggling as well. Who knows? Like I said. My, just my own thoughts and opinions. Thanks today, guys, for listening to today's podcast. I mean, some crazy stuff happening in the markets between the housing, what's happening with Netflix and Twitter, and obviously with the Russian ruble right now. But, man, market just extremely fascinating at this time right now. And these are just things we got to keep an eye out for just so that we can know what to do with our money when the time comes. 
when we have to make our own financial decisions. So with that being said, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'd like to remind you all that I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape or form. This whole podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please talk to your own financial advisor when um, dealing with financial matters of your own choosing. And that, with that being said, please also continue doing your own research as well as I cannot make financial decisions for you at this time. That being said, guys, thank you for taking time to listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends and family as every share that we get out there can help grow this podcast so that we can continue talking about the market, what's happening out there. And with that being said, guys, thank you for taking time of your day to listen. Thank you and goodbye.